Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It is Good Twos Newsday. We've got news about the economy, mutant wolves, and of course, Lunar New Year. Let's go ahead and get into our headlines. Today on Before Coffee. Wolves in Chernobyl radiation zone developing resistance to cancer, a study finds. And Tai Chi is better at reducing your blood pressure than aerobic exercise, another study finds. In more good Tuesday Newsday, we have rock stars getting together to fight cancer. And the U.S. economy, why is it doing so much better than Europe? Ed Dwight was to be the first black astronaut. At 90, he's finally getting his due. More black history, we look at several entrepreneurs over the years. Asian nations communities celebrate Lunar New Year of the Dragon. Those stories and more, which is Galentine's Day 2024. Today on February 13th on Before Coffee. All right, let's cover our first news stories, or two news stories here, which is about the Wolves in Chernobyl. This is from Rebecca Roman on the Business Insider. Wolves in Ukraine's Chernobyl area are developing resilience to cancer. The Society for Integrative and Comparative Biology reports a nuclear disaster following the explosion at the nuclear power plant in April 1986 in northern Ukraine, then part of the Soviet Union, it released a large quantity of cancer-causing radioactive material. Today, its legacy still lingers in the radioactive soil and water in Belarus, Ukraine, and western Russia. The gray wolves in the highly radioactive area exposed to about 11.28 milligrams of radiation daily, more than six times the legal safety limit for humans. However, recent research conducted by Kara Love, an evolutionary biologist and ecotoxicologist, exotoxicologist, exotox, ec, eco, ecotoxicologist, my dyslexia freaking activated there at Princeton University shows how these wolves have adapted to survive in a radioactive environment. Love's research established that wolves in Chernobyl have altered immune systems, similar to cancer patients undergoing radiation treatments. This is important. As scientific research reveals more about radiation resistance, the potential for innovative therapies and preventative measures against cancer grows. Love and her team existed, visited the Exclusion Zone, CEZ, in 2014, equipping wolves with radio collars to track their movements and monitor radiation exposure in real time. Parts of Ukraine and Belarus are deemed uninhabitable for humans and abandoned after <coughs> the massive radiation leak at the Chernobyl nuclear plant in 1986. <coughs> After the worst nuclear disaster of all time released cancer-causing radiation and irradiated debris into the power plant's surrounding environment, the area was rendered uninhabitable for uninhabitable for humans. About 350,000 people were evacuated from the region after the explosion. However, almost 40 years after the disaster, wildlife like horses, wolves, forests, and fungi have recolonized the affected zone. Don't forget about the frogs. Aren't there like really special radiated frogs there as well? I swear, I remember hearing something mm. about radiated frogs. Many studies suggest that animals are thriving in the zone because of the lack of humans. <laughs> in the end of the day, the biggest threat to, hu to animals is us, I guess. Um, <laughs> the CEZ is a fascinating example of nature's power to rebound from degradation, said Tim Christopherson, who was the head of the United Nations Environmental Program's Nature for Climate branch at the time. Nature flourishes when humans are removed from the situation. <laughs> oh god. That's a great. Even after the world's most nuclear accidents, Jim Smith, an environmental scientist, told the National Geographic, uh, you know, Hey, we may have caused a giant nuclear disaster, but it's still us who would have caused more power, more damage to animals, I guess. In more good news, Tai Chi. Better reducing your blood pressure. This is from Paul McClure at New Atlas. 
A new study has found that Tai Chi was significantly more effective than aerobic exercise at lowering blood pressure in 18 to 65 year olds with prehypertension, a condition that can progress to high blood pressure and other cardiovascular disease. The findings suggest there is value in practicing Tai Chi to improve heart health. Well, I think this is true because I have done Tai Chi and Qigong, which are basically the same thing and it's all about moving your blood the whole idea is that you're moving your chi around right but your chi you know in a more scientific term chi is just blood flow right when 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 uh, like the ancient chinese or whatever were talking about chi it was literally filling their blood moving through their body and that's mm -hmm. what you're doing you're so it makes sense that by moving and increasing blood flow and kind of it's in a way an exercise for your heart only your cardiovascular mm. system yeah and aerobics aerobics get you the cardiovascular going but they get you breathing heavy and then yeah. you really uh uh lactic acid in your muscles go ahead yeah a lot of the qigong and tai chi i did was just really like basically resistant training, right? Like going this kind of stuff where you're pushing your hands against each other. Mm -hmm. And that is all your body really needs. You don't need to be pumping iron, so to say. Metrics, metrics they call it. People with prehypertension are increased risk of hypertension, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, coronary heart disease, stroke, and heart attack. Defined as a systolic blood pressure, SBP, and or 120 to 139 milliliters of mercury, MMHD, or a dialostic blood pressure, DBP, of 80 to 89 MMHD, prehypertension can serve as a warning sign, warranting early diagnosis and intervene intervention to reduce the risk of complications. In a new study found by the Chinese Academy of Chinese Medical Science, CACMS CACMUS, researchers examined the effectiveness of Tai Chi in reducing blood pressure and compared it to aerobic exercise. Increasing evidence suggests that exercise helps lower blood pressure in people with prehypertension or hypertension. Aerobic exercise is so-called because it increases the heart rate and the amount of oxygen the body uses and includes things like walking, cycling, and swimming. Tai Chi could be seen as the opposite of aerobic exercise, compromising slow, gentle movements and postures. It relies on meditative mind and controlled breathing. While studies have shown that Tai Chi can reduce blood pressure after weeks to months of practice, there's little evidence that it's better than aerobic exercise in the, set the setting of prehypertension. The researchers recruited 349 participants, so not a huge study here, with 51% of them being women from age 18 to 65. So a pretty even spread, but also not a lot of people with defined prehypertension who are randomized to, into a tai chi group tai chi group or an aerobic exercise group both groups performed four 60-minute supervised sessions a week for 12 months that is a long study though for, for 600 300 people to participate in almost 400 people Tai Chi group performed young style Tai Chi, which included 24 standing movements or forms, aerobic exercise interventions including climbing stairs, jogging, brisk walking, and cycling. Blood pressure was assessed at a baseline and at 6 and 12 months. The primary outcome was the mean change in SBP from the baseline to 12 months, measured in an office setting while walking. After 12 months, the mean change in the office of the SBP differed significantly between age the groups. In the Tai Chi group, it was a negative 7.01 compared to the negative 4.61 MMHD in the aerobic exercise group. So I guess the higher the number, the better. Or I guess the lower mm -hmm. the number, because it's a negative 7. The Tai Chi group... Sorry? <laughs> It's the difference between, if you're talking about blood pressure, it's the difference between the two a lot of times, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it the is distal pressure. Yeah. Yeah. The Tai Chi group also showed a greater Sorry. reduction in the 24 hour, negative, 22, negative 216, and nighttime, negative 4.08, ambulatory SBP, then aerobic exercise group. A reduction in office SBP of at least 10. MMHD was seen in 35.3% of the Tai Chi participants compared with the 27.8% in the aerobic exercise group. This is probably a lot of um, medical science here that I don't understand, so I, I apologize for the, the thickness. But uh, as the study concluded in 
At the study's conclusion, 21.8% of the Tai Chi group showed blood pressure with a normal range without medications, whereas 15.6% of the aerobic exercise group showed the same. So there's a, that's a pretty well, like a six percent difference there. Fewer patients had progressed to hypertension in the Tai Chi group compared to the aerobic exercise group, 12 versus 17. The research suggests that a potential explanation for the finding is that Tai Chi reduces the excitability of the sympathetic nervous system and produces a relaxing effect. In randomized mm -hmm. clinical trial conducted in office in 24-hour ambulatory conditions, 12 months of Tai Chi was more effective than aerobic exercises in reducing SBP in patients with pre-hypertension, said the researchers. These findings support the important public health value of Tai Chi to promote the prevention of cardiovascular disease in populations with pre-hypertension. So, I'm not a scientist, but it's still quite a small study, yeah. but I think this is a great start into this idea and that it definitely looks like neither neither of them hurt you right one's just better than the mm -hmm. other so you can still combine both if you want to if you have a oh, yeah. hypertension but yeah it looks like tai chi gives you a little bit more of a boost over reducing your risk of getting cardiovascular or coronary cor coronary heart disease or any of those things so there's your good news <laughs> Wolves are going to solve our uh, solve cancer problems and Tai Chi will solve your high blood pressure if you happen to have it. Your story. Right on. And the most important thing is keep that blood pumping. Yeah. Because without that, you kind of just Don't, lay don't there. just sit there, you you're, know. You're basically, you're basically a bag of chemicals without it. <clears throat> a bag of chemicals with animation now. Yeah. I'm sorry. The great thing about Tai Chi is that you can do it while you're sitting down. Like arm stuff, you can do that on your desk. Yeah. You don't have to get up and go for a run or anything like that. So you can do both. definitely the Chinese definitely I I'm I subscribe to their religions too, right? Yeah. Eastern religions. I'm all about that stuff. It's all about looking you know, instead of blaming everything on God, you know <laughs> Some invisible man I'll never see, right? I'll go, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that. Anyway, that's all another subject. U.S. economy is good news, but not such great news, puzzling news for Europe, because oh, we're doing the same stuff, aren't we? I'm not sure you are. <laughs> it's, a different, a, it's a different economy okay. over here, too. It's not as simple. What? Well, it's also a different economy well, we over here as well. So it's not as simple as just doing the same thing the U.S. is doing because we have totally different Obvious. things going on. That, that, that was the idiot's point of view. Sorry. Oh, okay. I was showing you <laughs> the idiot's point of view. That's what the idiots say. Why are we doing things right? Yeah. Well, you are. Maybe the political, uh, local politicians' will isn't there. Very complicated economy with several different languages. So, yeah, it's not the same. Well, countries around the world, this is from BBC, so I'm not, this takes some American slant, even though it's from Aaron Delmore, New York business correspondent, so they might be American, <laughs> working for the BBC. But anyway, they're using economic data, so we can't, we can't sit there and go, you know, this is made up nonsense, because Europe produces their own data, and they can tell us what it is. With the fast-growing economy, a strong labor market, and a falling inflation, the U.S. has outpaced its counterparts in Europe and elsewhere. And yet, still, we complain. In terms of GDP, it posted 3.3% gain in the fourth quarter of 23, far exceeding economists' expectations of 2%. That put the U.S. at 2.5% over the course of the year, outpacing all other advanced economies and on a track to do so again in 24. They have a chart of growth projections, and the U.S. projection is 2.5. Europe is, let's see, that's hard to read. Okay, pouring trillions into the economy, this is the number one reason. Experts say there are several reasons why the U.S. is outperforming its nations. Number one, pouring trillions in the economy. When the COVID-19 pandemic slowed in person, slowed in-person work and social life to a halt. Countries had to grapple with how to support their stuck-at-home citizenry, including many who lost their jobs and couldn't work. In March 2020, Congress rushed to pass a $2.2 trillion economic stimulus bill that sent cash into pockets of American workers, families, and businesses. Two more pieces of legislation followed keep small businesses afloat and workers' workforces employed. See, that was the government working together because 
They didn't care who the president was. They wanted him to do something, right? And they did something. Now we got half of the Congress that doesn't want to do anything for four years now, basically. We're not going to do anything. Although the Senate just passed some funding for the Ukraine war. This is the largest influx of federal money into the U.S. economy in history. Some five point, some five trillion dollars flowed in to everyone from the individuals making an extra $600 in weekly unemployment benefits to state and local transit agencies strapped for cash without commuters. I think there was a whole generation of policymakers that came out of 20, 2008 and 2009 with a lesson that if you don't go big and go bold, the problems last for a long time, said Aaron Terrazas, Chief Eco Economics at Glassdoor. Of course, the lesson here is socialism. Anyway. Yeah, not so exactly oh, My ears are bleeding. <laughs> government getting involved to make sure everybody's happy. Socialism. <laughs> Yay! Our millionaires loved socialism four years ago, didn't they? Some of the money put in the household's pockets ended up in excessive, said Ryan Street, a war chest for Americans to tap into when they need it. The size of the U.S. rescue deal dwarfed what other countries did. Although some like Japan, Germany, and Canada also went big. European countries have a more robust social safety net than the U.S. Were, and were able to adapt existing programs of increasing spending. But the short-term advantage could not make up for the huge gap in similar size. That's right. When, you, when you're cheating on capitalism, and still calling it capitalism, you're probably going to win, right? We're a capitalist country. You silly Europeans with your social safety nets. Of course, capitalism cannot exist without socialism. It's been proven over and over again. Ask Ford, ask Chrysler, ask GM, ask Amtrak, ask the airlines. They're all taking money from the government or they would go under. Number two, a flexible job market. High inflation has been a painful experience for many Americans that has shaped their view of how the economy is faring. But a strong jobs market has helped disposable income, which the engine behind, which is the engine behind consumer spending. The unemployment rate in the US has been below 4% since 22, which is on par with historic lows. And while prices climb steeply, real wages have risen too. Low-income households have seen some of the strongest real wage growth. The U.S. has also enjoyed productivity spike in 23, growing at its fastest pace in years. Julia Pollack, chief economist at ZipRecruiter, points to the flexible labor laws which allowed companies to slash workforces at the start of the pandemic. This produced short-term pain for the workers, but allowed companies to adapt to the moment and invest in new technologies. Isn't that just like an economist? You just see it from the top. Look at a slime below getting that laid off is an unnecessary thing we have to do. Now go starve and go live in the street. She cited the examples of hotels which lay off workers and haven't hired back to pre-pandemic levels. Oh yeah, stay at a hotel and hope to get your room clean. Good luck. They've simply changed a lot. They've introduced self-checkouts and mobile check-in technology. They've reduced the frequency of room cleaning. That's what I just saying. They've eliminated room service because now customers tend to prefer to use Uber Eats anyway. How do you know customers prefer that? You took a survey? Boy, I really wish I could call some guy across town to bring me some food that's going to be cold when it gets here. Or I could order room service and have a hot meal. I don't think people prefer that. Yeah. What a silly, silly notion. No, I prefer a hot meal, thank you. Not something that, oh, you got my order wrong. You know? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. People prefer Uber, Uber Eats. That is so absurd. A hot meal over a cold meal every time, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Just take crap right out because it makes no sense. The U.S. enjoys it. If I'm going to overpay for food, I want it to be cold. That makes no sense. God. <laughs> Room service every time. Guy comes in there with the cart, sets it up for you, gives you the thing, you know, it still costs the same. You're still overpaying. Anyway, the U.S. enjoys another advantage, the ability to resupply its labor market, especially through immigration, at a time when the retirement of the baby boomer generation has slow population growth. That's right. You ain't getting me to work them damn jobs. The European approach favored paying companies to keep workers in their payrolls when lockdowns crippled businesses. The UK furlough scheme had paid employees 80% of their wages in less than more than 18 months. 
U.S. had more severe unemployment as a result, but laid-off American workers were eligible for newly expanded unemployment benefits which sent cash directly into pockets. Bypass the paperwork. Number three, energy independence. You think the United States doesn't have energy independence? Yeah, we do. The U.S. is a net exporter of energy, and experts say that it helps the U.S. economy strength. When Russia invaded Ukraine in February 22 and energy prices soared, Europe absorbed the impact much more than the U.S. Germany, a major European manufacturing hub, imported much of its natural gas from Russia via its Nord Stream pipeline. Its productivity took a hit. Higher energy prices pushed up inflation in Europe in what experts call the double shock, the pandemic, and then Ukraine. The impact of Ukraine war on energy prices was a lot worse in Europe than it was in the U.S. Said Ben Westmore, who oversees surveillance of the U.S. economy, OECD. Gas prices in Europe between 21 and 22 shot up close to 20%. He says, where in the U.S. it was only 3 to 4%. And of course, we bitched more than anyone. He pointed out that the European countries have seen not only a bigger increase in prices, but also a great leap propensity, propensity for business to pass them on to consumers. Both of these factors have helped U.S. inflation moderate to a faster extent in many countries, especially Europe. So I don't know if Europe's been raising interest rates like the United States. Well, it's hard because it's a that. bunch of different countries, right? It's not just Europe, yeah. right? It's 27 countries yeah. in the EU have to decide if they want to do that. And that's not, you know, yeah, it's not individual like the same. Bank. Yeah. The EU does not have power over controlling inflation rates of any of the countries. They don't have economic course, control like States, that. I don't know if every country doesn't have a central bank. Every country doesn't have strong currency. There so is a central really European bank that controls the euro. If so I might if be I, doing that, but... If I'm, in tro- if I'm in charge of Deutschmarks, do I really want to make Deutschmarks more expensive? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. Not during inflation. I don't think I do. I think I want to just go, hey, ho- hopefully people keep borrowing money. I don't know. And good news about cancer. We talked about Chernobyl yeah. causing cancer. And who knows how many, who knows how many teenagers got cancer just from being near any nuclear power plant. But here's a good news, a short story. It's about... Mark Knopfler. If you don't know Mark Knopfler is, well, if you don't know who he is, guitar player for Dire Straits and one of the best guitar, well, actually, actually, um, Les Paul's favorite guitar player was Mark Knopfler. Anyway, so, Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits, 60 of Rock's Great, this is from Good News Network, and I'm pretty sure it's, it's this is by New York, Good News Network. 60 of Rock's Greatest Icons, 60 of them, greatest icons, probably more, play a new charity song answering Mark Knopfler's call to help where teens with cancer. Yeah. In a heartwarming display of camaraderie, dozens of guitar gods and rock music icons answered the call to produce a charity single to benefit teens with cancer. An overall effort by Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits that has already raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. The track features an unprecedented lineup of Knopfler's great guitar heroes, and Legendary does not begin to cover it. From David Gilmore, Ronnie Wood, Slash, to Eric Clapton, Sting to Joan Armitrading, Bruce Springsteen to Pete Townsend, Joan Jett to Albert Lee, Brian May to Tony Iommi, Iommi, I can never (laughs) say his name correctly, the guy from Black Sabbath, missing a <laughs> finger. That guy. <laughs> the superstar kept stepping up. Notably with great honor, the track opens with Jeff Beck's final, final, the late Jeff Beck's final spine-tingling recording. Before I knew where I was, Pete Townsend had come into my studio armed with a guitar and an amp. And that first Pete power chord, man, I tell you, we were in that territory and it was just fantastic. And on it went from there. Eric Clapton came in, played great. Just one tasty look after another. Then Jeff Beck's contribution arrived and that was spellbinding. I think what we really had was an embarrassment of riches, really. The song dropped, dropping on March 15th. There's a sneak peek on this article so you can hear it, I guess. Uh, and in an update from the 
is an update from his film anthem, Going Home, from Mark Knopfler's first foray into movies, the soundtrack to Local Hero, starring Burt Lancaster, released 41 years ago. It is a memorable tune that is still played before every home game of the Newcastle United Football Club in England. Going Home. So listen to that in the meantime. They're waiting for the full release. Mark's longtime collaborator, Guy Fletcher, edited the contributions into a nine-minute piece with Roger Dalter and Monica, Ringo Starr and drums, alongside his son, Zach Starkey, who is the drummer for The Who now. There are two drum tracks switching from one to the other, revealing an unmistakable family style. Sting completes an extraordinary rhythm section on bass. Jeff Beck's contribution was absolutely meant to be, said Fletcher, and that's what he did with it. It just brings you to tears. All the net proceeds will go to Teenage Cancer Trust in the UK and its American equivalent, Teen Cancer America, which was co-founded by Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend of The Who, who also established the Daltrey Townsend Teen and Young Adult Cancer Program at UCLA (coughs) Medical Center. Mm-hmm. Further funds are raised thanks to guitar makers who donated eight guitars to be signed by contributing contributing artists. Four of the eight have already been sold for the U.S. charity. In January, Knopfler sold his own guitar collection for at Christie's for over $8 million, 25% of which is going to charity. One Gibson Les Paul, signed by many artists from the project, sold for nearly half a million dollars. Even more cash is being raised by the record label, Neo Fidelity Recordings, making a six-victory donation to the charity and records cover artist, Sir Peter Blake, who created the iconic cover for Sgt. Pepper's. Donating a limited edition print run of 150 large wall prints of the cover art, which feature portraits of all the artists. Each print has been hand-signed by Sir Peter Blake, CBE, and is being sold for $1,000 a UK to benefit Teenage Cancer Trust. $1,000 in the UK? Don't you mean 1,000 pounds sterling or its equivalent? In the UK, benefit Teenage Cancer Trust. A version will be available to purchase a later date to benefit Teen Cancer America. Performing artists on the track are, I guess they're going to alphabetical order here. Here we go. Joe Bonamassa. Paul Carrick, Rye Coder, Steve Cropper, Cheryl Crow, Peter Frampton, Brent Skill, Miss Gill, Buddy Guy, Sonny Landry, Alec Lifeson, Phil Manzanera, Dave Mason, John McLaughlin, Tom Morello, Rick Nielsen, Brad Paisley, Niall Rogers, Mike Rutherford, Joe Cetriani, John Sebastian, wow. Andy Taylor, Susan Tedeschi, and Derek Trucks. They're married. Um, Keith Urban, Steve Vai, Waddy Wachtel, Joe Walsh, and others. Others is really good. I've heard, I got a lot of his stuff. <laughs> others. One of the guitars airmarked for Teenage Center Trust will be auctioned off by Knopfler at a private donor event in Newcastle on the evening of March 1st, prior to the soccer team Newcastle United match on March 2nd. A number of artists who perform another song will attend the match, where a sneak peek of the portion of the song will be played for Newcastle United fans as the players enter the stadium. After the overwhelming support showed by his guitar heroes, Mark Knopfler most wants to thank each and every one of the performers for their sterling response. I had no idea what was going to be like this. You can pre-order the EP, extended play on CD or vinyl, or pre-order digital tracks, tunes, or other platforms here. And I will send you the video sneak peek and you can maybe play it out. What do you think? Sure. That's the story. All right, okay. we'll play it out. Okay. I'll be back in a minute. Also, I want—I also want to add that the European Central Bank did increase inflation back last year. I guess they did it last year. They did a huge interest rate, raising the interest rates last year, and then now they're just like there's not enough demand for the euro for them to do that again. So. Unfortunately, the euro is still a weak currency with not a lot of demand compared to the dollar, so they don't have the same strat. They don't have the same strategy that the the U.S. can do, I guess, because of that. But all right. Oh, let me. I didn't forget. Switch my camera over. Okay, let's cover 
Oh, you look looking blank screen. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I was just telling. I was just oh, saying yeah. what the, I was just saying what the European bank did instead. Okay, let's talk about Ed Dwight. This is from Associated Press and by Jake Cole. Ed Dwight grew up in a segregated 1930s Kansas on a farm on the edge of town. An airfield was within walking distance, and as a boy, he'd often go to marvel at the planes and gawk at the pilots. Most there, most were flying back from hunting trips, and their cabins were messy with blood and empty beer cans on the floor. They'd say to me, Hey kid, would you clean up my airplane? I'll give you a dime, Dwight 90 recalls. But when he was eight or nine, Dwight asked more than a dime. He wanted to fly. My first flight was the most exhilarating thing in the world, said Dwight, smiling. There were no streets or stop signs up there. You were free as a bird. It would be years before Dwight entertained the idea of himself of becoming a pilot. It was the white man's domain, he said. But while in college, he saw in a newspaper above the fold an image of a downed black pilot in Korea. I said, oh my God. They're letting black people fly, Dwight said. I went straight to the recruitment office and said, I want to fly. With that decision, Dwight sent motion a series of events that would nearly lead him to being among the first astronauts. As Dwight progressed through the Air Force, he was handpicked by President Kennedy. It's White House to join Chuck Yeager's test pilot program at Edwards Air Force Base in California in the Mojave Desert. That tabled astronaut breeding ground, side of the right stuff, might have turned Dwight into one of the most famous Americans and the first black man in space. But at Edwards, Dwight was discriminated against even with Kennedy championing him. Dwight eventually departed for civilian life and largely receded from history. Former NASA astronaut Ed Dwight posed for a portrait to promote the National Geographic documentary film The Space Race during the Winter Television Critics Association press tour. That happened on Thursday, February 8th, 2024. But in recent years, Dwight is finally being celebrated. The new National Geographic documentary, The Space Race, which premieres on February 12th on the National Geographic Channel and streams on Disney Plus on February 13th and Hulu, chronicles the stories of black astronauts and their first pioneer, Dwight. When I left, everyone said, well, that's over. We got rid of the dude. He's off the map, Dwight said in an interview by by Zoom from his home in Denver. Now it comes back full force as one of these I didn't know stories. It wasn't until 1983 that the first African-American, John Bluford, reached space. But two decades earlier, Dwight found himself at a fulcrum of the 20th century America, where the space race and the struggle for social justice converged. In the space race, astronaut Bernard Harris, who became the first black man to walk in space in 1995, contemplates what a difference it might have been if Dwight had become an astronaut in the tumultuous 60s. This really allows us to realize the hope that's within all of us as human beings, Harris says. To see a black man in space during that period in time, it would have really changed things. That's why they didn't want him to do it, because those people did not want any change. They wanted the status quo to stay the same. It is so important for everyone who follows after followed after, to recognize and embrace the shoulders that they stand on, said Lisa Cortez, who directed the film with Diego Putando de Mendoza. There's a history no, and the history that's not had the opportunity to be highlighted. In 1957, when the Soviet Union launched the Sputnik into orbit and jolted its Cold War rival into action, the U.S. began pursuing a space program. Political leaders were conscious of the image its astronauts could protect on American democracy. The first astronauts, the Mercury 7, were all male and white. When Aerospace Research Pilot School was established that November, the White House urged Air Force to select a black officer. Only Dad Dwight met the criteria. That November, Dwight received a letter out of the blue inviting him to train to be an astronaut. Kennedy called his parents to congratulate him. Despite reservations, Dwight joined up. He was celebrated on the covers of black magazines and Jet and Sepia. Hundreds of letters hailing him as hero poured in, but in training he was treated with hostility by officers. They were instructed to give me the cold shoulder, Dwight said. Yeager had a meeting with the students and the staff in the auditorium and announced it. That Washington was trying to shove this N-word down our throats. Yeager, who died in 2020, may he not rest in peace, maintained Dwight simply because wasn't as good as other pilots. Yeah, I'm not, I didn't use the N-word or anything. <laughs> Dude is quoted as saying the N-word, saying, they're trying to force us to have black people in our midst. 
Oh, no, no. He wasn't good enough. That's why I didn't let him become a become an astronaut. Yeah, you say that now. In freaking modern times. Dwight was among the 26 special astronauts remanded by NASA by the Air Force. But in 1963, he wasn't among the 14 selected. Dwight astronaut future looked took a more drastic turn when Kennedy was assassinated in November 22, 1963. And then he really lost his support in Washington. Kennedy was killed on Friday, and by Monday, Dwight says he had papers in the mail's box shipping it out to Germany. He quickly met with Bobby Kennedy in Washington, who had the Pentagon cancel those orders. Wow, they literally tried to get him out of the country. Get out of here. Like, leave the country. They didn't like this guy so much. But no, he wasn't a good, good pilot, you know? That's their story. He wasn't good enough. But let's send him to Germany. <laughs> Ultimately, Dwight was stationed at Wright-Patterson in Ohio in January 1964. He graduated the program and totaled some 9,000 hours of airtime, but never became an astronaut. He left the Air Force in 1966. Well, that's like, what? Well, what he started in, yeah, okay, so that was basically like four years, five years of just racial abuse from everyone, probably. And he finally just like, you know what, fuck this, I'm done getting, you know, treated like shit for just the color of my skin. I'm out of here. Asked if he was bitter about his experience, Dwight exclaims, God, no! You get a little five-foot-four guy who flies airplanes, and next thing you know, this guy is in the White House. Me and all these senators and congressmen, standing in front of all these captains of industry, and have them pat me on the back and shake my hand, Dwight says. Are you kidding me? What would I be bitter about? That opened the world to me. In 1977, he earned his Master's of Fine Arts degree in Sculpture from the University of Denver. Much of his work is of great figures from black history, such as Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, and Barack Obama. Several of his sculptures have flown into space, most recently one aboard the vessel Onion. Orion, sorry, <laughs> Onion. <laughs> Orion. NASA named an asteroid after him. Dwight is filled with gratitude. He is one... His, his one recommendation is that every congressman and senator be flown into a suborbital flight so they can see the Earth from above. Everyone, he thinks, would realize the absurdity of racism from that height. I'd advise everyone to go through what I went through, and then they'd have a different view of this country and how sacred it is, Dwight said. We're on a little ball flying around in the galaxy. Uh, every single yeah, every single astronaut says this, by the way. They, every world leader needs to go in space. Every single one to realize, you're fighting over this small smeck in space, guys. It's not that serious. Calm down. You have to realize this is the only place we have to live. There's not another planet out there. You can keep hoping, but you're never going to get live on it. Any of the people alive right now are never going to live on another planet. So you need to stop thinking mm -hmm. about other planets and focus on the one you're on now. You wanted to say something? Well, you want my opinion on that? Yeah. Of course, the uh, being a fighter pilot and being a good fighter pilot has nothing to do with being an astronaut. Yeah. They sent a monkey into space first. <laughs> they sent a dog into space. Yeah. Okay? They came right back down, right? The first persons that went up went, came right back down. That's all they did. They went up and they came down. That's all they did. What does a fighter pilot do? The reason they wanted fire pilots? Well, they wanted test pilots specifically because they're fearless and they're small yeah and if they die in sp yeah. if they get ex die in an explosion well they're always knew that could happen to them in a fighter plane so yeah yeah i think back then the, the tallest you could be is like five nine and be a and be a fighter pilot because yeah. you just don't fit yeah you know? and, uh, space small. capsule is even better because yeah your payload is all fuel <laughs> Anyway, you have to work in stressful situations, and it's definitely stressful to go into space because there's no oxygen out there. <laughs> You're right. Whatever that moron's excuse for not letting him on, he wasn't a good enough fire pilot, is bullshit. And he knows it's bullshit. Because all the fucking. All the actual pilots made fun of the people that went into the space program. They said, You're no. No, you're a monkey. Now you're a monkey. Basically, you're doing what a monkey can do. Sit on a space capsule and get shot in the space. And listen to the orders they the give you in the, in the, from Houston or whatever. That's all you have to do. All you got to do is attitude the thing the whole time. That's all you do. You're steering it. Because the Earth is basically controlling where you're going. You're yeah. going around the Earth, you know? Yeah. It's not racism. So gonna the, call it now. That's why, that's why I said, may he not rest in peace. Yeager, may he not rest in peace. Because yeah. he was just being racist. So. Yeah, he did. 
Yeah, I hope he's tortured his entire life by that decision. Well, he's, he's dead. Lying. You don't have to. Yeah. He's in hell. You had to yes. be an astronaut to <laughs> be able to strap yourself to a missile. All right, good news today. We're going to good news. We're going to talk about black entrepreneurs. It's Black History Month. Hold on. And we're going to... This is from Black History Month Enterprise. Uh, tech and Innovation. Uh, what's the... What's what? Tech and Innovation. By Laura Bratton. Historians of Black... Mark Black History Month by highlighting some of the people who have shaped the economy as we know it. Many historians, many American historians and education experts agree that the K-12 history curricula too often highlights stories of trauma and oppression, even during Black History Month. While important, they say it's equally significant to bring the accomplishments and achievements of black Americans to the forefront. That includes black business people throughout the U.S. history have been entrepreneurs for long before entrepreneurship became a cottage industry. And Gerald Robinson, said Gerald Robinson, a professor of public policy and law at the University of Virginia. Because of barriers, social, political, and economic, for them to get into the mainstream, they acted and thought like entrepreneurs do. They saw a problem and called it an opportunity, he told courts. Well, Quartz is the name of this website, sorry. All right. Yeah. I finally got to the bottom of it. It's their fault for not putting their big banner at the top, you know? Professor <laughs> Muhammad, a professor of history at Spelman College in Atlanta, said learning the contributions of black innovators throughout American history is essential because it provides a more comprehensive understanding of African-American history and how the modern day American economy was formed. Quartz has compiled a list of black entrepreneurs throughout American history. Now it won't stop flashing quartz on my screen. <laughs> Couldn't find it at the beginning. Oh, it's on there all the time. Hey, we're quartz, dude. Don't forget. Okay, got it. <clears throat> There's Frank McWhorter, 1777 1854, chemical manufacturer. Known as Free Frank, McGorder was a former slave who brought it, bought his freedom by mining and selling saltpeter, the main ingredient in gunpowder. The success of his saltpeter operation allowed him to also buy freedom for 16 family members and purchase hundreds of acres of land in Kentucky. He became the first black American to have founded a town, New Philadelphia, Illinois. Clara Brown. 1803 to 1885, Colorado real estate mogul. They had moguls in those days. An ex-slave, Clara Brown, moved to Colorado during the gold rush, opened the state's first commercial laundry business and used the profits to invest in properties and mines across Colorado. She became the first female member of the Colorado Pioneer Association in 1884. Elijah McCoy, 1844 to 1929. He was, it says, Innovator Supreme. Hey, that's a job title. <laughs> Ever heard of the phrase Bill McCoy? That's referring to Canadian American inventor Elijah McCoy, who created the automatic engine lubricator in the late 1800s. The device is used to improve factory machines. Factory machines, transatlantic ships, trains, and other heavy equipment. He received almost 60 patents in the course of life. And I have heard a different story about the origination of the real McCoy. So I'm not sure if that's the origination of it either. <laughs> There's different stories. Yeah. I heard it was about pro. <laughs> yeah. Maggie. Lena Walker, 1864-1934, Southern Bank Pioneer. Walker was the first American woman to own a bank. Founding St. Luke Penny Savings Bank in 1903, Walker grew up in Richmond's Jackson War neighborhood, dubbed the Harlem of the South. Her bank later merged with two others in the city to become the Consolidated Bank and Trust, and she was the chairman of its board of directors. Today, it's the oldest bank continually operated by Black Americans in the U.S. O.W. Gurley, 1868-1935, King of Black Wall Street. Well, this is a sad story. I can already tell you that. Gurley was credited with the founder of 
credited as the founder of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma's Greenwood District. He owned about 100 of the city's 600 businesses at the time, including a grocery store, apartment buildings, a hotel, and employment agency, and he had to flee to Los Angeles, California after the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. It's Oklahoma try, still trying to bury in its history books or leave out of history because I never heard about it till I was all oh, 30, you know. Not in the history books, folks. You think the history books are you get at school are accurate? Go find a real history book written by real historians, not some um, textbook editing whatever outfit where they have political agendas. I'm sure everybody has a political agenda, but yeah. the truth is the truth. In a way. You know, and just, oh, what happened to all those people? I don't know. They just up and left and burned their own houses down. Oh, okay. That's what happened. Anyway, back to good news. And we'll list the other black, other black business influentials. There's a there's tons of resources detailing histories of black entrepreneurs throughout history. A few among them. Paul Cuffey, 1759-1817, with his older brother-in-law established shipping business in the late 1700s. Cuffey became one of the richest people of color in the country and used his earnings to help create a smallpox hospital and an integrated school. School, excuse me. Biddy Mason, 1818-1891. Mason was a former slave turned Los Angeles real estate investor who used her wealth to become a philanthropist, even without learning to read or write, she made sound investments, decisions, and purchased her first property at 48 years old. Isaac Myers, 1835-1891, the Baltimore businessman created one of the first African-American trade unions for ship caulkers. Ship caulkers, there's a job. It's gonna just be tedious as hell. Yeah. Madam C.J. Walker, after uh, 1867 to 1919, after making money doing laundry and working as a cook, Walker worked for Annie Malone as a sales agent for hair products. She then launched her own beauty and hairline to massive success, becoming a wealth of African-American women over time. Walker is credited for being the first self-made black woman millionaire, so some disagree that financer Mary Ellen Pleasant made it to one million before her. <laughs> Annie Malone, 1867, 1869, 1957, the daughter of formerly enslaved patient parents. She became a pioneer of the black cosmetic industry, forming her own beauty line and nice. hair care company. She also founded the cosmetology school in Pro College of St. Louis, Missouri in 1902. Malone is also one of the first black American woman millionaires. Frederick Douglass Patterson, 1871 to 1932. Patterson, Ohio businessman with the first black American to create a car manufacturing company. Charles Clinton Spaulding, 1874 to 1952. This North Carolina resident led North Carolina Mutual, one of the first black-led U.S. mutual funds and largest black-owned insurance company at the time. Marie Van Britten Brown. You got a proper rich person's name, huh? This New Yorker was the inventor of the first home security system and closed circuit television. Others included the aforementioned Mary Ellen Pleasant, businessman Jeremiah Hamilton, publisher John Johnson, and philanthropist Reginald Lewis. The list goes on. But we have a that is actually the end of the article. But there you go. Black entrepreneurs throughout history before like before World War II, all of these were all, all their successes between Civil War and World War II. And what happened with World War II? I don't know. I guess stuff. But yeah. these are ancient history. These are old. Ancient, yeah. They only, they only went back to a certain era, it looks like. So it is like black entrepreneurship stopped in 1935. So. <laughs> well, I guess it's like the older it is, the more likely you're not supposed to know about it, I guess. Right. Now we're down to the point where you had Jay-Z on TV. He's a really, really, really rich guy. Yeah. 
he said something the other night. He said something the other night that was kind of weird, right? He says his wife is Beyonce, right? Yes. Yes. Beyonce's won more Grammys than anybody else. Why isn't she won album of the year? And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe she didn't make a great album. I don't know what you can say. It's like we owe her a Grammy for album of the year just because she won the most Grammys. What kind of yelling about Grammys to begin with? They don't mean anything. <laughs> Hey, who cares, right? Do you get more money from that? I don't get it. It's like, damn it, eight million Grammys in my house. I need one more for album of the year. That would seem kind of that's a Maybe there's out. some sort of correlation between how many Grammys that you have versus like how popular you are. And he's just like, oh, my wife's not popular enough because she doesn't have the most Grammys or something. I don't know. It's like, are you looking for legit legitimacy or something? I don't understand. You've got legitimacy. You know, shut up. You're a billionaire. You're being rich and famous. Yeah. Nobody cares that you didn't win a Grammy. Nobody. Not one person. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, we talked about that when I was covering the Grammy winners as well. I never feel sorry for anybody that loses an award they were nominated for. Ever, 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 ever. Yeah. They have a better life than me. Their children's children's children will have a better life than me. Don't feel bad for them. They are doing fine. Right. <laughs> All right. For our culture news segment, we're not talking about the Grammys, but we are talking about... Lunar New Year. It's the year of the dragon. This is from Agent France Press. With fireworks, feasts, and red envelopes stuffed with cash for kids, numerous Asian nations and overseas communities have welcomed Saturday the Lunar New Year. Saturday was the 11th of February. It begins with the first new moon of the lunar calendar and ends 15 days later on the first full moon. The dates of the holidays vary slightly each year, falling between late January and mid-February as it's based on the cycles of the moon. Festivities to mark the Year of the Dragon in Taiwan were marked with appearances by newly elected president Lai Xingtei and the speaker of the legislature Han Kyo-yu, who represents the opposition nationalist party that favors political unification with China. In her address, Tsai and said Taiwan faced a continuing conflict between freedom and democracy versus authoritarianism that not only affects geopolitical stability, but also impacts the restructuring of global supply chains. These past years, we have kept our promises and maintained the status quo. We have also shown our determination and strengthened our national defense, Tsai wrote, who is barred by term limits from seeking a third four-year term said in a reference to self-governing island democracy, close economic ties, but fraught political relations with China, which threatens to invade the island to realize its goal of bringing Taiwan and its high-tech economy under its control. Taiwan, China, and other areas say saw highways clogged and flights fully booked as residents traveled home to visit family or took the approximately one-week holiday as an opportunity to vacation abroad. Firing bottle rockets and other fireworks is a traditional way of welcoming the new year and seeing off any lingering bad memories. Children are given red envelopes stuffed with cash as show of affection to help them get a leg up in the coming months. Long lines of cars congested South Korean highways on on the 11th, as millions of people began leaving the densely populated Seoul capital region to visit relatives across the country from Lunar New Year's holiday. Royal palaces and other tourist sites were also packed with visitors wearing the country's colorful traditional hanbok flowing robes. Groups of aging North Korean refugees from the 1950-53 Civil War, which remain unresolved, bowed northwards during traditional family rituals held in southern border town of Paju because they can't visit their families because it's North Korea. The only came amid heightened tensions with North Korea, which has been wrapping up its test of weapons aimed at overwhelming regional missile defense system and issuing provoca provocative threats of nuclear conflict with the South. The South's president, Yoon Suk-yul, start started the holiday by issuing a message to, of thanks to South Korean soldiers, saying their service along the front line, barbed wire, sea and sky, were allowing the nation to enjoy the holidays. Thanks, BTS. BTS is currently serving their military time, so they're included in that, <laughs> that thank you message. They're protecting the Koreans from North Korea's threats. Parades and commemorations are also being held in cities with large Asian communities overseas, and particularly New York and San Francisco. So, yeah, 
I hope everyone had a good lunar holiday. If you celebrate, uh, I don't really celebrate any holiday in, the, in such a way like that. But the funny joke uh, here in the Netherlands that my housemate Robert always gets shared is it's his birthday is on the 16th of February and his mom would always say, hey, you want to get Chinese for your birthday? There's no Chinese open because they're all in China or other places visiting their family. So there's no, you cannot get any Chinese food at any time. They've all left the country to go visit their family. <laughs> but it was every, I think for every year since he was a kid, they would say that until one year was like, I got it, guys. I can't get Chinese. Stop. Uh, till, this joke is old now. But, uh, yeah, another successful, happy year of the dragon. So I don't know what that means. But I'm sure Maybe it means something. Twelve years. <laughs> Isn't one of my aunts the year of the dragon? Happy birthday to Robert. Sorry. Happy birthday to Robert. Oh yeah. Well, soon. It's his birthday, no? Sixteenth Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah, Friday. Oh, what's well, your birthday next week? Yeah. On old timer. Yeah. <laughs> this day in history. Okay, this day in history. It's a lot of days today. That's weird. Well, better People than yesterday. Like the 13th. People like the 13th more than you think they do. Okay, this day in history. Oh, let me open the right window here. Okay. This day in history. Going way back. Going way back. Way back. 1542 on this day. King. Henry VIII of England had Catherine Howard, his fifth wife, guess what? Beheaded! Oh yeah. On charges of adultery. Because actually, Henry VIII was a real bastard. 1649, English author John Milton published his first political tract, The Tenure of Kings and Magistrates, in response to the execution of King Charles I. Again, beheaded, no doubt. 1692, Scottish soldiers under Archibald Campbell, 10th Earl of Argyle, slaughtered members of the MacDonald clan of Glencoe. Glencoe, after their chief, Alexander MacDonald, missed the deadline for swearing allegiance to William III. Campbells and MacDonalds, mortal enemies. I don't know if they are anymore, but no. For instance, if you're going to McDonald's to this day, you cannot buy any Campbell's soup. You just can't. Hey, you get any Campbell's soup? Campbell's! They run you out of the place. Anyway. <laughs> they, start, they start throwing tomatoes at They you. slaughtered the McDonald's back at Glencoe in 1692. We're not over that yet. 1883, German composer Richard Wagner, whose operas and music had a revolutionary influence on the course of Western music, died in Venice at the age of 69. 1935, this day, Bruno Hauptmann was convicted of kidnapping and murdering a 20-month-year-old son of Charles and Anne Moreau Lindbergh. He received the death penalty and probably didn't do it. So, yay okay. for executing a wrong. 1950, British musician Peter Gabriel, who was the lead singer of the progressive rock Genesis before launching his own successful Solo career was born. So happy birthday, Peter Gabriel. Could have played some Peter Gabriel music today, huh? So Peter Gabriel turning 74. Young for a ancient rock star. <laughs> 1960, France detonated the first atomic bomb in the Sahara Desert. 1997, did France own the Sahara Desert back then? Huh, that's weird. Yeah. They must have owned part of it. 1997, the Dow Industrial Average first eclipsed 7,000 mark and then closed at 7,022.44. I don't know, that's what we're remembering. 2000, the last Peanuts karmic strip was published in newspapers just hours after the death of creator Charles Schultz. I remember that happened. He lived in San Diego. 2002, the Scottish Parliament passed the Protection of Wild Mammals Bill, which made it illegal to hunt wild mammals with dogs, effectively outlawing fox hunting in Scotland. Yeah, thank you. What a pointless exercise. 
2008, Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd apologized to Australian Aboriginal peoples for abuses they had suffered under earlier administrations. There, it's all better now. We've apologized. Give them money. That's what I 2016. say. 2016. <laughs> <laughs> there, there. You'll get another land someday. 2016. Anthony Scalia died. Supreme Court Justice died in Shafter, Texas. Uh, on this day. Featured event. In 1869, William and Mary were crowned. Following the glorious revolution, William and Mary were proclaimed King and Queen of England this day in 1869, after which they ruled jointly as King William III and Queen Mary II until her death in 1694. And she was her sister, Queen Anne, became queen, and she was the last of the Stuarts to run England because she had no children that lived. She had like, I think Queen Anne had 11 children that didn't live. All of that inbreeding. Yeah. All of that inbreeding, man. I tell you, you got to mix in some races from someplace else, man. Otherwise, you just call them harmful mutations. You know, you get three eyes, 14 toes, you know, six elbows. Just mutants. Anyway, we've learned that from from uh, biology. Yep. You have to diversify. You should diversify in everything, actually. <laughs> anyway, especially your stock portfolio. Happy <laughs> birthday today. William B. Shockley, American physicist. I said, I wish I could have a stock portfolio. <laughs> it takes a couple of dollars to get started. William B. Shockley, American physicist, born in 1910. Kim Novak, American actress, born in 1933. We already covered Peter Gabriel. Henry Rollins' birthday today. Henry Rollins, wow. the punk group Black Flag, and of course the Henry Rollins group. And Randy Moss, American football player, was born this day in 1977. Henry Rollins being born in 61. And what day is it today? Oh my. It is National Tortellini Day. So, tortellini, those little round things that got stuff inside of them, they're good. I like cheese, right? They got yeah. cheese inside of them. It's National Pancake Day, so we had that for breakfast before we have a tortellini and this pass out it's also fat tuesday which is the day before ash wednesday and in mardi gras and especially new orleans louisiana they're getting ready to taiwan yep national cheddar day also so it's national cheddar day it's pax z day which is also the day before ash, ash wednesday also fast Night day also the day before ash wednesday so just depending on what country you're in i'm thinking fast Night must be german no i could click on it open a new tab uh-huh okay fast Night day yep germany Pre-Lenten celebration takes place the last day before Ash Wednesday. Got it. And the other one was Paschkey Day. Righto. National P-A-C-Z-K-I Day. Paschkey Day. That's a Polish Ash Wednesday. Pre-Ash Wednesday. So, it's just another version of Fat Tuesday with different foods and not everybody, you know, flashing their boobs at everybody. <clears throat> because that's what New Orleans basically is. <clears throat> it's a boob flashing place. Well, at least Bourbon Street, not the whole oh, city. Okay. <laughs> the French Quarter is boob flashing time in the old town tonight. And it's also Galentine's Day. And I had to look this one up too. Galentine's Day. Galentine's Day. On February 13th, Galentine's Day brings women together to celebrate each other every year the day before Valentine's Day. Women all have one friend who cheers on her female companion. She's the best supporter, listener, companion. No matter what, she has your back. She's the lady who celebrates lady. This is the day. This is the kind of day a woman like that should throw a party and she should. So happy, happy Galentine's Day on February 13th, 2024. Before coffee. 
Back to you. But this has been Allison here oh, from the oh, from the Netherlands, and I'm happy to say that I want to be a gallant, your Galentine. So if you need somebody to support you in all you do, I'll do that for you. <laughs> I'm always out here. Right on. Supporting women, supporting women, I'm all for that, and everyone should really be for that. I don't know why you wouldn't want to be supporting that. <laughs> there are some people out there. Tomorrow will be Wacky and Weird Wednesday, so get ready for some weird news you weren't expecting to even think about at all. And let's go ahead and forgot to change the video here. That's yeah, only oh, 15. My mic drop. Sneak peek. I can find it. I could have linked to oh, right. Mark Knopfler sign. And I'll see you then. Here is your mic drop moment. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.